We welcome you to the Truth Simply Put, our broadcast and teaching series at the Basilea Commission. You're about to receive God's unadulterated word, brought to you by Pastor Alexander Victor. Challenging, uplifting, and provoking you to new dimensions in your kingdom walk. And now, today's message. So if you're here for the first time, you know, man, you have a lot to catch up on. Right? Because if, if, if Jesus preached the gospel, and the gospel is Christ dead, buried, resurrected, ascended, and he had not done any of those things aside being born, what gospel was he preaching? And we see that the central theme of Jesus' gospel was the kingdom. Is the kingdom separate from Christ crucified? Hmm. That's the gospel. And then you see as well that other people before Christ had the gospel. Yeah, and we went through that in scripture. Yeah, Abraham hearing the gospel. We saw Galatians 5, Galatians 3, 8, where it says scripture preached the gospel to Abraham. We went through Lot and we went through Noah, a preacher of righteousness. Yeah, we went through all of that stuff. In scripture, we went through prophets that preached the gospel, right? We went through the, the Ethiopian eunuch hearing the gospel through Philip, yes. right? Starting at Isaiah, he preached Christ yes. to him, right? Jesus himself in Luke 24 with those two disciples on the way to Emmaus, starting at Moses, the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, and the prophets, that's all the Old Testament, he preached, espoused to him the things in scripture concerning himself. Moses wrote about me. We saw the rich man and Lazarus, where he wanted them to go preach. And, and Lazarus and Abraham said to him, he said, they have the prophets. In other words, they could hear the prophets and, and hear Christ. They could hear the prophets and see Christ. They could believe the prophets and receive Christ, even though the gospel they heard before the cross was in its promissory sense. It was a coming expectation. And because it was a common expectation, the likes of Abraham could believe what was to come, and it was what? Credited to him for righteousness. We, we went through all of that, right? And then we started to explore the message of the gospel, the scope of that message. I gave you a few pointers. We're going to look at the plan of God for man, which was incredible last week. Yes. Yeah, the plan of God for man, essentially, was to make man Christ. Because... The Godhead, El Elyon, the Godhead, it signifies the plurality of the Godhead. When you see the phrase El Elyon in scripture, sat down and they had a conference. Let us now make man. It wasn't God and the angels or God and the 24 elders when they said let us. Yeah? It's, it's actually only two times it appears in scripture. That time and in the Tower of Babel. They said go to let us go down because nothing these people have decided to do will be refrained from them. So let us now make man in our own image. So again, it couldn't be God and celestial bodies because our image will be confusing. It'd be a bit of God, a bit of cherubim, a bit of 24 elders, a bit of these angels. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? So it couldn't have been, the us couldn't have been referring to all of the celestial bodies or beings. It was God, the Godhead. Right? Let us make man in our own image and after our likeness and as a consequence of that let him have dominion so god did not create man to have dominion again that's free of charge that's a digression man has dominion as a consequence of being created in god's image because god is the king of the domain dominion comes from the word domain one who exercises authority over a domain has dominion 
over that domain. Make sense? So God created man, and by consequence of man being in his image and likeness, man therefore has dominion in the earth. And then we explore what the image of God is. Hebrews makes that clear. In chapter 1, he's the express image of the Father. He's the express image of his person, Colossians. So if Christ is the image of God, if he's the image of the glory of God, 2 Corinthians 4, 6, the glory of God in the face of Jesus, right? So if he is the image of God, then and, and God says, let us make man in our own image, then the blueprint in the heart of God for creating man was Christ. Yes. Make sense? Because Christ is the express image. He's the image of the invisible God. So the invisible God that you cannot see is appreciated in the Christ that we all can see. Make sense? Make sense? And that we're becoming. So the image of God is Christ. Christ is the image of God. And God created man in his image. So God created man with Christ in view. That there might be many Christs in the earth. Not inferior Christs. That's why I've said to you over and over, Christ is no longer the only begotten son. He lost that title the moment I got born again. Make sense? That's why we are now joint heirs with the son. Heirs of the father, joint heirs with the son. We have equal inheritance and standing before God that Jesus does. Now, I know it's difficult for us to listen to appreciate. I know, I know, I know. But as you confess it every day, it begins to play out in your life. First John 4, 17. Hearing is love made perfect. That we might have boldness in the day of judgment for us. He is. So I is. In this world. So as Christ is, so I am. Hebrews says in chapter 2 that it was fitting for God in bringing many sons to glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. So the idea of Christ coming was that there will be a plurality of sons of God. Now therefore, he says, are we the sons of God? Make sense? So he had one son. The perfect prototype, Christ, because the first prototype was messed up. So another one comes, the same Adamic order, so that just as sin came through, Romans 5 blew your, blew your minds, right? As, 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 as sin came through one person, one person's singular act, and everybody born, a cascade of sin. The same way one person's righteous act, and there's a cascade of righteousness. It's not what I do that makes me righteous, just like it's not what I did that made me a sinner. One Adam sinned, I became a sinner. Another Adam became righteous and I became righteous. Deal with it. So you can't now bring me into righteousness by works. If I'm not, I'm not even a sinner by works. No, no, seriously. It's not my sin that makes me a sinner. We talked about this over and over. It's Adam's sin that makes me a sinner. I didn't need to do anything. I was born. Remember last week? As you, as you are giving birth to in the earth, dead. At the, at the time of being born into the earth, you were as packed full of sin as you could ever be. So even if you lived 70 years on earth as an unbeliever, you didn't get any more sinful. The only thing that magnified sin in the earth was the law. Sin came, the law came that sin might be exceedingly sinful. That's the only thing that magnified sin. But as for you, human original imputed sin, as you were born, you were born as sinful as you could ever be. No matter what other sin you did as a sinner, they didn't add to the volume of your sin. Hello? Remember last week? Second Adam. Last Adam. Very important comes here and he is righteous 
So everybody born of him is righteous. It is not what they do that makes them righteous. It's what he did that makes them righteous. And just as here you could never be more sinful, Charlie, the moment you got born again and you became his righteousness, you are as righteous as you could ever be until you see him face to face. So there is nothing you do on the earth now that adds to your righteousness. The room is quiet. Nothing. Because it's an imputed state. You can't alter it. You can't do anything to it. It is his righteousness. Don't forget. He made us his righteousness. His righteousness was not an ingredient to make you righteous by your own righteousness. No, it is his righteousness. That is in view. So man, man falls because man was created in the image of Christ. So when man fell, man fell from Christ. That's why it's called a redemptive plan. It's just taking you back to where you were. Do you understand? Yeah. Make heaven, make heaven, make heaven. Why would God leave heaven and come and fellowship with man in the earth? That was another digression for free. Why wasn't man, God coming to transport man to heaven for fellowship. When he finished fellowship, transport him back. Why does Revelation say the, the tabernacle of God is now with men? God has always... So man falls. And we, we talked about the seven, six things that he tampered with. What were they? He tampered it in his fall. He tampered with his... His seed. He tampered with his supply. He tampered with his... His immunity. He tampered with his... Yes, it's tempered with his, and it's tempered with his, his connection and fellowship. Tempered with that, he falls. And then that phenomenon of the fall of man took away one divine phenomenon and brought another phenomenon into place. What was the phenomenon he took away? Righteousness. Because man was by default righteous. Man was by default righteous before he became sinner by default. Right? So sinner by default is not how we were originally created. You get it? All I've seen and for short of the glory of God was not the original plan of God. Yeah, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. So man fell. We lose our default righteous state and then we're introduced to a new phenomenon that never existed before that called sin. And sin along with its results. We saw James, when desire is fully grown, it gives birth to sin. And sin, and when desire fully conceived gives us to sin, and sin fully grown gives birth to death. So sin came, and through sin, death came. And man fell. So we've gone through all of that stuff, um, and I, I've tried, haven't I? Yeah. To sort of bring us up to speed. So we talked about the fall of man and all that stuff, and, and what blew our minds yes, um, last week was that picture of man falling and God in the fall of man, kept reaching out to man. Yeah. You know? You know kept, kept reaching out to man. Man falls, and God, God came down to fellowship with man, having known that man had fallen. If God didn't want anything to do with you again, why did he still come? How could man still hear the voice of God in his fallen state? If you lose connection or you lose as a believer now, you sinned, you, you made a mistake, you made an error, the Holy Spirit now packs out of your life. 
which is what religion has taught us over the years. And then when you fix yourself, Holy Spirit will come back. Who helps you to fix yourself? It's not the Holy Spirit. When He, the Spirit of truth, comes, He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Who is doing the convicting? The Holy Spirit, not you by yourself, not your pastor. There's no amount of preaching we can preach. If the Holy Spirit doesn't do the work in you, nobody can do it. That's when he works even more. To let you know, son, you got it wrong. He doesn't leave. He doesn't abdicate. He doesn't abdicate. A prince of... And, and we have that impression that the Holy Spirit just can just leave you. Anytime he likes. What kind of multiple polar disorder Holy Spirit is that? No, he doesn't leave. He doesn't leave. He doesn't leave. Not even buy or try or quad or tetrapolar. He's multipolar. Ominipolar. <laughs> no, but he doesn't leave. He doesn't leave. He didn't do it before grace. He, he, he's not going to do it now in grace. When the blood speaks, not the blood of animals that covered sins. No. And, 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 and so, so he comes down to still fellowship with fallen man. In his fallen state. And he asked the man, where are you? Still interested in man as he was. And after man does all he does, and, and God doesn't curse man. Because God couldn't curse his image. He couldn't curse his image. And so man leaves, but before man leaves his presence, God kills animals and performs the first animal sacrifice. That just floors me every time. Clothes man with skin. Means some animals had to have died and their blood ought to have been shed. So they lost their place with him, but they didn't lose their place in him. They lost their place with him. They, they came out of the ambience of his presence. Eden means cosmos, atmosphere, system, remember? Yes. He took them out of there. And we, we see that in that narrative, he didn't take it, them out of there to kill them, but to preserve them. Preserve them. Covers them with skin. And, and when, when we closed last Tuesday, I was going on. And you know, you can trace that redemption plan all through scriptures. Because it repeats in the next chapter or so with Cain. Cain falls. And God puts a mark on him to protect him so that nobody will kill him. He just committed the first murder. He deserved to die. And God said, if anybody kills Cain, I'll kill him. Oh, he's a mess? He's my mess. It's not anybody's mess. I'm not abdicating who he is because of his mess. Put a mark on Cain. Nobody could touch Cain. He deserved to die, but nobody touched him. You think he was today grace that is speaking? That's why Paul comes and says, the law that came 430 years later cannot annul what was only ours by promise. Grace has been speaking before the law. Lord had never applied to you as a Gentile. Yes. You adopted a Lord that was never yours in the first place. So no Gentile, as it were, because now there's no longer Jew or Gentile, but those of us to whom grace came without law should be having issues accepting grace without law. Righteousness apart from the law, Romans 3, right? So man falls and we see the plan of God all through. And then we see that sin comes and then death comes. So that's everyone who's born is born dead. The penalty for that fall, which is where we are now, verse 5, the penalty 
for the fall. You have heard this a thousand times in church. The soul that sinneth shall die. For the wages of sin. Some of you knew that verse before you even knew John 3.16. The penalty for the fall was death. We all know that, right? Ephesians 2, 1 to 3. New King James. And you he made alive who were what? And you he made alive who were what? Who were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked according to the curse of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now walks in the sons of disobedience among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the other. It never stops there. Yeah? But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us what? Alive together with Christ. By grace have you been saved. And raised us up together. Together there means us and Christ. He didn't die alone. He didn't rise alone. Oh, I, wish, I wish somebody heard what I just said. No, 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 no. That was the mathematics that the devil did not calculate well. He thought he was killing one man. If they had known. They would have allowed the one man to do his thing. You know, walk the earth, heal as many sick as he needed to heal, raise as many dead as he needed to, to raise, collect his father's carpentry business, expand it into a conglomerate, franchise some of it from Israel to Egypt to Iran to the whole of Macedonia, just live a normal life and die a righteous man like Noah and everybody else did. He would have lived as one terror son of God. He would have died as one terror son of God. And the moment he died, that would have been the end. The priest of the world would have come back to party as usual. But he saw one man walking the earth and causing commotion. One man that says, I come in the volume of the books. One man that says, today is this scripture fulfilled. In your hearing, they say, now nah, we can't let this guy live. Let's kill him. They bring another system. Barabbas, son of man. They put Jesus, son of man. I've taught you this before. Two different systems. Choose life or death. They chose death. Kill him. Oh, he healed your sick. Kill him. He raised your son from the dead. Kill him. How about your daughter he raised from the dead? Kill him. How about your brother he raised from the dead? Kill him. And Satan thought he was killing one man, righteous man, who was upsetting the system. He didn't realize that he killed everybody that was in his captivity. And as Jesus rose, me, I rose with him. And, and Satan is looking and he's seen one Jesus, no, no, sorry, two Jesuses, five Jesuses, ten Jesuses, a million Jesuses, a, mil, a billion Jesus. And, and right now we are his biggest nightmare. Because yes. everywhere he turns, he sees Christ on display. Christ on display. That's why those two guys come to the guy at the gate of beautiful. And they're like, yeah, the guy's begging for arms. You know what they said to him? The first three words. I like it. He said, they said to him, look at us. You know, we miss that. We jump on to see Van Gogh. Have I known in the name of the Lord Jesus of Nazareth? Rise up and walk. No, no, no. They said, they, look, they knew who they were. No, look at us. Look, yeah, look at us. Can you see us? You can see us. Such as we have. That such was Christ. Yes. 
such as we have, and then they cash in on it in the name of Jesus. As upon what? And so they go and explain to the Sanhedrin that th- that name through faith in the name. They knew who they were. Look at us. Look at us. So we, we, we died with him. I said in the earlier part of this series, I believe, that we were dead in sin and dead to Christ. And now we are dead to sin and alive in Christ. Yeah? Remember that. So the penalty for the fall was death. Ephesians 2. And by consequence, alienation from God. We just read that down. If you go down, Ephesians 2, 11 um, and 12. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called on circumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, at, that at that time you were what? Without Christ. Are we there? Being what? Aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. What a bad state. Thank God for Jesus. So we're alienated from God. We we're not a people. First Peter 2.10. Yes? First Peter 2.9. You're a royal generation, chosen generation, royal priesthood, holy nation. Call for the children praise of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous life. Verse 10. You who were not a people, right? But have now become a people. So we, we penalty for the fall was death, was alienation from God, was a disconnect from the promise. Yes? Let's see Galatians 3. Galatians chapter 3. Is this helping anybody? Galatians 3 verse 7. Are we there? Therefore, know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God will justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham. And therefore, conversely, those who were not of faith were not blessed with receiving Abraham. Make sense? Because we're heirs of Abraham according to the promise. Remember that? So we lost our place in God's scheme of things. That was the penalty for sin. Death, alienation from God, disconnect from the promise. Because remember we defined sin last week as uh, the other definition as whatever is not done from faith. Remember that? We said that in Romans 14. Right? So we lost dominion and authority and kingdom immunity in the earth. And of course we saw in the things that the fall of man tampered with, we saw that man lost the, the ability for the earth to respond to us. Right, so the believer in Christ now has authority over the earth. The believer in Christ now has authority over the earth. Now you better believe it. You better believe it. You have authority over the earth. The earth is subject to you. The heavens are the Lord's heavens. The earth has he given to the sons of men. Right? So let's look at the redemptive plan of God in Christ. And this is what I've been waiting to get to in this series. What were the points I gave you? There are six points I gave you concerning the redemptive plan of God. Can you find them? Yeah, what was the first one? Yes, second one? Yeah, third? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's the, yeah, that's the scope of the redemptive plan of God. 
So when you understand the gospel, understand what the gospel is, what the gospel is not, what the message of the gospel is, what the elements of the gospel are, what the ingredients of the gospel is, and then we look at the scope of that gospel message. Number one, and that scope was the fall of man, the, the purpose of man, of, of God for man, and two, the fall of man, three, the penalty for the fall, and then now we're looking at the redemptive plan of God in Christ. And under that, we're looking at that first one, slain from the foundation of the world. Very, very exciting stuff. You know, Revelation makes that clear. Behold, the Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world. In Job 38, God is, and this is, by the way, now, it just dropped in my heart. God is, 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 <laughs> I just, so I'm about to digress from this digress. <laughs> in chapter 38 verse 1 he said you know what you, you're, you're, who is he that opens his mouth and speaks words without knowledge that's how he starts he says now embrace yourself gather your loins I will ask you questions like a man and you will answer me where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth if you don't understand the pretext you will not understand the context of that text of scripture it takes knowledge of pretext to understand the context of the text you are considering. Calm down and study your Bible. Do you understand what I'm saying? What, what should I say you should do? Calm down, calm down, calm down. Calm down. Where were you when I was laying the, the cornerstone, the foundation stone for the earth? When the sons of God sang for joy and morning stars clapped their hands. Now, here's what I want to point out. In Job 38, because remember I taught you in this house that Genesis 1 is not the only and it's not the comprehensive account of creation. Yes. Yeah, you can't read Genesis 1 and think you understand creation. Oh, no, no, no. It's deeper than Genesis 1. Yeah, it's splattered all through scripture. Yeah. John 1 is a creation story. Yes. Plus being a Christ story as the Logos, the Word. Isaiah 14 has splatters of it. Ezekiel 28 has splatters of it. Revelation has splatters of it. Job has a lot of it. So in Job 38, God is creating, laying the foundation of the earth. And Revelation makes us understand that part of the foundation laying ceremony of the earth included the slaying of the lamb. Now that is profound. If that doesn't mess you up, I don't know what will. That he's laying the cornerstone of the earth. And inside that narrative, the lamb was slain. Because in the foresight of God, he saw that he, I've explained this before, Stephen, if there's no message Stephen can preach in this world, Stephen can preach that message. That God set before you two choices. He knew what choice he hoped you would make, but he also knew what choice you would end up making. Yes. You think God didn't know man would eat of that fruit? He knew. He knew. Did he want man to eat of the fruit? You can say no, he didn't, but he had already made provision yes. for it. So man eating the fruit just triggered in time what had been perfected in eternity. Yes. Yes. So all along, the tree that was kept there had one job. Magnify sin, reveal Christ. Yeah. All along. Because without that tree, There's no problem with the tree. Because in Revelation, you see that he that overcomes, I will give him to eat the tree of life. 
It's good news. I made a very controversial statement that it takes a deep mind to understand. I said, this lamb was not slain because man sinned. Man sinned because the lamb was slain. Just like people that think that grace is license for nonsense. No, it's not. It's not. And only babies in the faith will argue that grace enables a believer to sin. It's another digression. Yeah. Only, babies in the, only babies in the faith. Only babies in the faith. Unskilled, Hebrews 5, in the word of truth, unskilled babes. No, but when man sinned, because guess what happens? Man sins and instantly God is dealing with it. It didn't take him by surprise. No, the, the first sin of man met the price already paid. The lamb had been slain. Glory to God. The lamb had been slain. So that is the, the, the eternal plan of God. He foresaw the fall of man. He brought the lamb and he slayed him from the foundation of the earth. God made provision for it. Those of you who have not seen that in your Bible before, turn to Revelation. After all, it's word and life, right? Yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Revelation 13. Revelation 13, 5. And he was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. This is talking about the guy that we popularly known as the Antichrist. Yeah? Don't let it scare you. Then, because you're not around there. Yeah. Yeah. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints to overcome them, and authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. All who dwell on earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Emphasis here is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Let's look at um, Genesis 3.15. Let's look at a few. Is this happening to anybody? We're looking at the redemptive, we're starting to look at the redemptive plan of God, right? Genesis 3.15. Please be, I'll be very quick because of time. 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Remember that from last week? Now turn your Bibles to Genesis 17, 19. I'm doing all the reading so that we have it in the recording, right? Genesis 17, 19. I'm going to just draw a few quick parallels. Genesis 17, 19. And then God said, no, because you know Abraham had said that how am I supposed to have a child when the only one in my house is Eliezer of Damascus, you know, my servant who has become my heir, you know, and then um, let Ishmael live before you, he went on to say. And then God said, no, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, 19, and you shall call his name what? Isaac. I will establish my covenant with who? Him who? Isaac. For an everlasting covenant 
and with his descendants after him. Turn to Romans chapter 9. I want you to see parallels of prophecy and fulfillment in the eternal redemptive plan of God. But verse 6, even though we need 7, but verse 6. But it is not that the word of God has taken no effect, for they, let's refer to Israel now, are not all Israel who are of Israel, nor are they all children because they are the seed of Abraham. Because there's another seed. Verse 7 now. But, then quoting, In Isaac your seed shall be called. Differentiating the lineage that will come through Ishmael and the lineage that will come through Isaac. Enforcing Genesis where God said, I will make an everlasting covenant with Isaac and his descendants. Before you come and say, I am an Ishmaelite, the promise is on me too. So not all are Israel, not all are children because they are seed of Abraham, but seed of Abraham according to the lineage of Isaac. This is the deliberateness of it. Let's look at Jacob. And let's see that from the New Testament. The redemptive plan of God. We're, we're considering slain from the foundation of the world, right? Yes. Luke chapter 3. Very interesting. Some of you that think that all those begat, begat, begat has no meaning. The Lord will help you now. Are we there? Let's go from verse 23. It's a a bit of a long read, but bear with me. If you have King James, you'll enjoy the ride. It'll be bumpy, but you you will enjoy the ride. Are we there? Luke chapter 2, verse 23. Ah, exciting. Now, Jesus himself began his ministry. Look up. Abraham. Remember the gospel that was preached to him? Isaac. I just explained that to you now. As different to Ishmael. Yeah? And now we we also looked at Jacob. Yeah? We're looking at Jacob now. And I mentioned earlier on a few minutes ago that from Jacob, the promise cascaded down to Judah. Right? With that in mind, let's read this genealogy that you never thought had anything to to show. Now Jesus himself began his ministry at about 30 years of age, being as was supposed, the son of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janna, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathiah, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Isli, the son of Nagai, the son of Math, the son of Mathatiah, the son of Simai, the son of Joseph, the son of Judah, the son of Joannas, the son of Risa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtel, the son of Nerai, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kosam, the son of Elmodan, the son of Ur, the son of Jose, the son of Eliezer, the son of Jorim, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah. The son of Joseph, the son of Jonan, the son of Eliakim, the son of Milea, the son of Menon, the son of Mattathiah, the son of Nathan, the son of David. We see the root of David coming in. The son of Jesse. So you know which, which David is being talked about. The son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nachon, the son of Aminadab, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez. 
the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah. How many of you have never read this with this level of understanding before? Abraham, son of Terah, son of Nahor, son of Elba, son of Shelia, son of Cana, son of Aksabad, son of Shem, son of Noah, son of Lamech, son of Methuselah, son of Enoch, son of Jared, son of Mahaliel, son of Cain, son of Enos, son of Seth, son of Adam, son of God. It was not a mistake. Listen, beloved people, God has never been random. Has never been random. Never been random. So we see that promise fulfilled in Jacob and straight down to his son, Judah, and cascading down right to Jesus. So when Adam was formed in the earth, it was still God's grand plan that the first Adam would lead directly to the second Adam. The son of Adam, the son of God. Of Adam by natural order, of God by spiritual order. That's why he was called son of God, but he always called himself son of man. Revelation 5 5. <laughs> Anybody getting this? Revelation 5 5. Ooh, I'll go from verse 4. I love this scripture. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. Uh, but one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe. Of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to lose its seven seals. I follow the lamb. I follow the lion. The lion and the lamb. Of the tribe of Judah, the root of Jesse. It wasn't a mistake. And everybody's there judging Beersheba. Look at you, Harlot. Your husband went to war. You had your period. You still waited, the period finished. King called you. You still went. I said at the beginning of this meeting that the prophetic is not scripted, but is following a script. Did Beersheba need to do what she did? No. Was she justified in what she did? No. Even David, the narrative starts with at a time when kings go to war. That's where it starts. I already have a problem with that because David by default was a fighter. It's, 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 it's impossible to think of a war going on and David being in the palace. Not praying, not interceding, chilling on the roof. I mean, think about it. It's inconceivable. And then it happens that it's at the time where a very delectable married woman was having a bath. And somehow her bath pool was in the line of sight of this David who was supposed to be fighting a war in the war front. He calls for her. I like you. Say, King, I like you too. <laughs> but there is one problem. What's the problem? I mean, my period. Seven days on cleanliness. David said, I will wait. They are fighting war. 
he waited for seven days. She was when she finished her unclean period, she came back to him and he perfected his will with her. And that is the ancestor of Jesus. <laughs> Deal with it. He didn't come through any of the legitimate wives. Doesn't have time for your bureaucracy and your protocol. It's grace. You cannot turn and accuse Christ of coming from a perfect natural lineage. Christ came from a place where everything was perfect. Nobody did wrong. That's why he's Christ now. No, no, no. He's a man of like passion. He's Christ. He came from a very... Christ didn't come from a broken home. You know, everything was nice and sweet. His genealogy is lovely. No, 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 no. Look at Beersheba. Do you, do you see how much blood? She now came and said, Oh, king, live forever. I'm pregnant. How, how many weeks is it? Two weeks, three weeks. Eh. Call Uriah to come from the war front. Let him sleep with his wife. So by the time Beersheba gives birth, they can calculate it and see that the husband slept with her around the same time. Maybe plus or minus two, three weeks, premature baby or whatever. At least Uriah will know that within eight and nine months, he slept with his wife. Can you see the level of calculation of evil? Yeah. They brought Uriah. Uriah now had more sense than David. He said, how can I go and sleep with my wife when the armies of God are fighting? David got him drunk. And even in his drunken state, he slept in the king's gate. David was like, ah, yeah, 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 yeah. How am I going to do this? David had a no-nonsense animal of a chief of defense staff called Joab. No, David is still thinking it. Joab has done it. Yeah? He, had, he had two brothers, Abishai and Abner. They were mad. Mad. David just managed to say, I'm thirsty. And these three brothers tore down 200 big giant soldiers of Philistines to get to a well to bring water for David to drink. They were madmen. Their loyalty was unalloyed. Three brothers. He just said, I'm thirsty. That's what he said, I'm thirsty. And they looked, the nearest well had Philistines in. They killed 200 strong men of Philistines to bring, David poured the water out before the Lord. I can't drink water that has been bought with this much blood. David then writes a death sentence, execution sentence for Uriah, seals it and gives Uriah to go and do, deliver his own death sentence to Joab. David hears, says, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and marries Beersheba. And God did not change his mind. And it's your mess up that scares God. It's your mess up that intimidates God. He <laughs> now needs your works to sustain your righteousness. He now needs your works to be justified. He didn't change his mind. Because grace has never been a function of works. Never. Never been a function of what a man does. It's always been a function of he that wills and does of its own good pleasure. He's the one that does the work. Philippians 2, 13. Isn't that amazing? We see the plan at work in redemption. In Exodus 12, the Passover. 
We see that work in David. 2 Samuel 7, 12 and 13. Let's see it. This is helping anybody. We have just about half an hour more to go. 2 Samuel 7. <laughs> Somebody say, thank God for Jesus, man. <laughs> 2 Samuel 7, 12 and 13. When, God is speaking to David. When your days are fulfilled and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name. So clearly, the person being spoken of there was not Solomon. Hey. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. Yes. Matthew chapter 1. <laughs> oh, Lord Jesus. Matthew chapter 1 verse 1. Are we there again? Please look at me. Look at me. If you read your Bible with the revelation of Christ in mind, you will not miss anything. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. It was important all along. Can you see why? The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Who? But you see all those names, names, names you skip. No, there's nothing there. <laughs> and you miss Christ in the most unlikely places. Yeah. Splattered. The whole thing is Christ. Some of you are repenting for how you've been reading your Bible. Is that also? Yeah. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. See how that answers Second Samuel 7? I'll show you a few more and we continue. Here's David now grown up and prophesying. I told you in this house that there was no prophet as messianic as David. Even Isaiah did not prophesy as much volume of Christ as David did. So let's see a few. Psalm chapter 8 verse 5 to 6. We're exploring the redemptive plan of God, right? We're still on slain. From the foundation of the earth. Psalm 8, 5 to 6. Are we there? Let me go from verse 4. This is a scripture that... Psalm 8. It's a scripture that you all know. So let's go from, from verse 3. For context. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars... Am I still on? My The work of your fingers, the moon and stars which you have ordained... What is man that thou art mindful of him? And the son of man that you visit him. For you have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with honor, with glory, and with honor. And sometimes we worship and we go, Father, oh, we thank you. What is man that you are mindful of us? He was not talking about you. Hebrews chapter 2. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm not talking about you. <laughs> Hebrews chapter 2, are we there? From verse 5. For he has not put the worlds to come, of which we speak, in subjection to angels. But one testified in a certain place, saying, What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you take care of him? And set him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put off in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him, but we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. For the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. Who is the man and son of man being talked about in Psalm? Jesus! It's not you. It's in your Bible. Accept my condolences. For the busting of your religious bubbles. It's not you. Is it clear? Some of you are smarting. I'll wait for you. Who was being talked about? Psalm 40. I'll give you one more. Psalm 40. Again, David is crying out in his travail, whatever, whatever. Psalm 40, verse 68. Psalm 40, 68, I read for time's sake. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My eyes you have opened. Bunt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. And your law is within my heart. Hebrews 10. We just read Psalm 40, 68. We're now seeing the fulfillment of that in Hebrews 10. Psalm 40, 6 to 8. Now we are at Hebrews 10, 5 to 10. Therefore, when he, Christ, came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. <laughs> but the body he had prepared for me, in burnt offerings and sacrifice for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, to do your will, O God. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, verse 8, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you do not require, or not had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. What was that will? He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. I can spend all night drawing parallels from the Old Testament and the New Testament that were all about Christ. Isaiah 7 verse 14. Let's see Isaiah doing his own thing. The redemptive plan of God in Christ. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. 
Isaiah 7, 14. Are we there? Let's go from 13. Then he said, Hear now, O house of David, it is a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. It goes on. But you see an issue being dealt with Ahaz as king and God is telling them that a sign is coming. A virgin shall bear a son and he shall be called Emmanuel. 53, we all know that, right? Isaiah 53. One of the strongest, if not the strongest, messianic redemption scripture in the Old Testament. Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has carried our griefs, borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we have seen him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes. We are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. If you look at Isaiah 61 again. Another popular scripture that we quote a lot, Isaiah 61, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me, verse 1, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of prison to prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God. And one day I will teach you that vengeance of our God there did not mean God punishing your enemies, but God dealing with the enemy to spoil sin forever and deliver you to himself. That was vengeance. Ouch. When Jesus spoiled principalities and powers in Colossians 2, that was God's vengeance being fulfilled. It's not God coming to kill your enemy to avenge himself. Oh Lord, arise and avenge my enemies. Who sent you that? Sons of thunder. <laughs> Who sent you that? He told them in Luke, do you not know what manner of spirit you are of? Let me find this scripture for you. Hallelujah. Chapter 4. That was of John, chapter 4 of Luke, and verse, four, verse 16, uh, 14. Luke chapter 4, verse 14. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So those of you that argue that Jesus cannot be worshipped, duh. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found a place in chapter 61 where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord 
is upon me. Because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim the liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. 20. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Again, Isaiah 61. It's not about you. It's about Christ. That's why they will start and say how God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You know, Christos means anointed one. Christos. It's not the surname of Jesus. <laughs> so listen, we can, we can go on and on. Let me draw the curtain for today here. Just, we've just been exploring that element of the redemptive plan, which is him slain from the foundation of the world. And then seeing how that has played out in time, what was done in eternity past. And this is the gospel message. So imagine taking someone through, imagine being there and as the fly on the wall when Philip was preaching Christ to the Ethiopian eunuch. And hearing Jesus show these same scriptures I'm showing you now to show them himself. Oh, the Passover lamb, that was me. Moses in the reeds basket in the, in the, in the Nile that was me. Oh, them going through the Red Sea, through, that was me. You've been baptizing to me. Because we saw that later in scripture. Yes. Baptizing to Christ in the Red Sea. That was, all, that, was all, that was all me. The serpent lifted up in the wilderness. Yes. That was me. Lift up Jesus, give him praise and honor him. The Bible says that if I, the son of man, be lifted up, I will draw all men. It's not a praise worship statement. It's not lift him up as in... Jesus, yeah, lift up. As we lift you up, you are drawing all men. That was not what the lifting up meant. For just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so also the Son of Man ought to be lifted up. This was lifting up. Nailed on the floor, nailed to the tree, on the ground, and lifted up and displayed. So as they saw that serpent lifted up, and as many as saw the serpent were healed in the same way as the Son of Man is lifted up, he draws men to the Father. Jesus was not saying, if you worship me, I will draw all men to myself. No, 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 no. no. He started worshiping himself before you were here to worship him. If I be lifted up, I will draw all men. That's why till today, the only thing that draws men is the cross. The cross, the cross, the cross. It's not works. Lest any man should boast. It's not legalism. It's not traditions and philosophies of men. It's the cross. The only thing that draws men is the cross. And the only thing that can keep them is the thing that drew them. Yes. That's the gospel. Your legalisms can't keep anybody. You can't. Paul said it. Don't you read your Bible. He said, for when the law came, something revived in me and I died. Hey. He said, for I did not know I would not have known what covetousness was until the law came to say, that shall not covet. Because where there was no law, sin was not imputed. So if we are no longer under the law because Christ is the end, Romans 10, 4, of the law for righteousness, then it means no sin is no longer being imputed. 
Because sin can only be imputed where there is law. If he fulfilled the law and did away with the law, then sin to the believer is no longer being imputed. You can't change God's word. And that's the gospel. So you go to someone and you, and, and that's why you understand that we, we, we don't get saved by the gospel to live in Christ by another Bible message. You get saved by the gospel to live in Christ by the gospel. This is the gospel. This, that's why we're teaching this series, understanding this gospel. Then you can appreciate grace. And if you appreciate grace, you can't abuse it. We don't have to teach you how to handle grace. Grace it's in itself is a kingdom system. It's a culture system. It's a value system. This is the gospel. It is good news. You are reading begat, 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 son of Adam, son of God. Did that do anything to somebody? It's good news. And when you are loaded full of the gospel, then you can authoritatively declare the gospel. I've told you over, me I'm done for today because we can't continue. Next week, we'll, we'll, we'll continue. Born of a woman in due time. But for now, slain from the foundation of the world. Fear in the gospel. How now? Listen, if you really heard the gospel, the day you gave your life to Christ, you will never have cried. <laughs> you came to the altar. <laughs> no, 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 no. You didn't hear the gospel. Is anybody hear what I'm saying? You did not hear the gospel. It's good news. I want you You should be jumping and jubilating and celebrating what you have come into because once you are not a people, now you are a people. And it's not me. It's him. You would, a believer can never have a dull day. It's not possible. Oh, I, I'm just having a down day. How? No. A believer cannot have, a believer cannot be depressed. Depressed? Why did you press the Holy Spirit to that? You depressed him. And no, he cannot be depressed. He took everything I was so that I can become everything he is. The gospel message to an unbeliever is, do you know who you are? Do you know how, how much you are selling yourself short? Just give him praise tonight. Just thank him. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening, and we hope it has been a blessing to you. For inquiries and further information, please send us an email to info at the or visit our social media platforms.